Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Being uh, conformed to Christ and not to the world is a theme of the New Testament. Even in the Old Testament, of course, the picture in Genesis is that humans are created in God's image. And the New Testament focus is on the restoration of this image, the fulfillment, really, of this original purpose of creation. So if you look at a series of verses in Romans, it focuses on this. Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. First Corinthians is a parallel verse, says just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 8, 13 to 17. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You did not receive the, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so how does this transforming by the Spirit through the Son take place? pictured as transforming the heart it's pictured in chapter 12 conforming the mind it's pictured as socializing the body and of course it's through the community of the church but when I say that don't let your eyes glaze over because what we mean by the community of the church is well that is integral to our friendships our marriage relationship all of our relationships And so when we say the church, we just mean people, we mean friends, we mean marriage, we mean the social formation linked to baptism, prayer, communion, but also to marriage, friendship, the Christian discipline of life. That's the positive picture. And I'm going to come back to that, but I'd like to give you a bit of a negative picture, the opposite of being conformed to Christ is to be conformed to the world. And interestingly, this week, the magazine, The Atlantic, ran an article describing that evangelicalism or the conservative Christianity in this country is falling apart. There's a mass exodus of membership, not just members, but also pastors and teachers. They're being driven from the ministry by a kind of mean-spiritedness that has invaded the churches. Many factors may, you know, maybe the COVID thing, people have been isolated. 
But the article, interestingly, it claims exactly what our topic is, that people are being conformed to the world. They're being shaped by social media. They're being shaped by secular politics more than Christ. You know, The Atlantic, this isn't a religious magazine. It's just a secular magazine. And it's noticing this about the church. I happened to have been reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Ethics at the same time I came across this article. And in Bonhoeffer's Ethics, he's describing a very similar problem. The German Christians, with the rise of National Socialism, were being conformed to the world, not conformed to Christ. And as I go through this, I'll reference the article, I'll reference ethics, but it's almost hard to tell which we're talking about. Are we talking about the United States or Nazi Germany? I'll tell you the first one here. This is from the Atlantic article. It says that in the church today, there's an aggressive, disruptive, unforgiving mindset, characteristic of the politics of the day. And that is that Pastors, if they're not successful, if they're not producing numbers, elderships are manipulating them, firing them. They're creating a toxic culture, it describes. A domineering leadership. And there's bullying on the, you know, we've seen it on the national scene and now we're seeing it in the political structures of the church, in the internal politics. The churches and Christians, this is a quote, have embraced the worst aspects of our culture and our politics so that churches are polarized and politicized as they have become, quote, repositories not of grace but of grievances, places where tribal identities are reinforced, where fears are nurtured, and where aggression and nastiness are sacralized. And so on the national scene, there is a leader with a profound distrust of all people who depicts himself as part of the community of common people. He praises himself with repulsive vanity and despises the rights of the individual. He considers people stupid and they become stupid. He considers them weak and they become weak. He considers them criminal, and they become criminal. His most holy seriousness is frivolous play. His conventional protestations of solicitude for people are barefaced cynicism. In his deep contempt for humanity, the more he seeks the favor of those he despises, the more certainly he arouses the masses to declare him a god. Now, if you didn't get it, I've shifted I'm not talking about the United States now. This is Adolf Hitler that Bonhoeffer is describing. Well, the result is that many Christian followers have come to see a gospel of hatreds, resentments, vilifications, put-downs, and insults as expressions of their Christianity, for which they too should be willing to fight. Now I've shifted back. This is in the Atlantic article. And so in both situations, there is a kind of similar social development. The church has been invaded by a political orientation and sociology 
more than held together by a common theology. And of course the key problem is their people are being discipled not by Christ, not by the church, but by propaganda. Quote, what we're seeing is massive discipleship failure caused by massive catechesis failure. The Atlantic article, by the way, it's just going through and quoting church leaders, church experts. I'm leaving out their names because it all sounds so familiar. Success by the culture standard is the formative factor. The majority fall into idolizing success. They become blind to right and wrong, truth and lie, decency and malice. Ethical and intellectual capacity for judgment grow dull before the sheen of success and before the desire to somehow share in it. I shifted again. That was Nazi Germany. There has been a church-wide failure to form its adherence into disciples, so there is a great hollowness. All that was needed to cause the implosion that we've seen was a provocative stimulus, and that stimulus came. Oh, I shifted again. That's the United States. You get the point. We're in a, a crisis, I believe, in this country. What the German church went through, I believe we're going through. The German church clearly failed. And the message in each instance is culture catechizes. It, it forms us unless we resist it. Unless we have a culture in the church that resists the culture of the world, we'll be shaped by the world. Quote, our current political culture has multiple technologies and platforms for catechizing. People who want to be connected to their political tribe, the people they think are like them, the people they think are on their side, subject themselves to its catechesis all day long, every single day, hour after hour after hour. Now that one you probably won't mistake. That's the United States. That's tuned in. You know, you're tuned in to television and mass media. And with this catechesis, there develops a forced tolerance in which evil is reinterpreted as good, meanness is overlooked, and the reprehensible is excused. It becomes very difficult to resist the majority and so one shies away from a clear no and finally agrees to everything. Oh, I shifted again. That's Nazi Germany. Admiration for the individualist, a self-made picture of human beings that has little similarity to reality takes hold. And the result is deadly. And so the way in which the culture catechizes is through a kind of propaganda through a kind of manufactured consensus and catechesis comes not from the churches but from the propaganda from the media as Bonhoeffer puts it the culture has produced its untouchables and I put Bonhoeffer here because this sounds so much like the United States he says like a, a black person in a white country or like the poor, the ill, and the disabled. They become scapegoats. 
a particular group becomes a scapegoat and becomes the basis for identity formation with hatred as the common denominator. And so to stir up hatred, to stir up blind passion, and of course that's what in this country the media want, the more you're filled with hatred, the more you're engaged in the social media, and that's the real goal, but then the more the hatred is driven on. And this migrates and has migrated into the church, which does not have the resources to resist it, the Atlantic article says. And so too often, when we look at the church, they see not the face of Jesus, but the face, the style of fill in the blank. Donald Trump, Adolf Hitler, the leader normalized a form of discourse that made the once shocking seem routine. In either case, Christianity stands or falls with its revolutionary protest against violence. This is Bonhoeffer. He's saying unless we stand up to this, unless we stand up for the poor, unless we stand up for the outcast, then we failed as a church. And so Christians have worked for decades I'm still quoting the article here. This is the Atlantic. To replace the Jesus of the gospel with an idol of rugged masculinity and Christian nationalism. And of course, Christian nationalism is the belief that this is God's chosen nation. And you could fill in the blank there. America, Germany. And this is a powerful predictor. Quoting of attitudes towards non-Christians on issues such as immigration and race. And over against this masculine Jesus, we see the picture that God actually sanctifies the lowly, failure, or what is called failure, poverty, loneliness, despair, in the cross of Christ. And so the yes of God to the cross of Christ is judgment on the standards of success of this world. And of course, this is the great mystery that the sign of Christ seems to make failure in the world. It seems to, you know, is the cross a success? Well, normally we would say it's a failure, but of course that's the sign of the defeat of the world. The cross is the marker of God's success. The difference between the two descriptions is that throughout Bonhoeffer's description, he weaves solutions. But of course, the solutions seem to apply in both cases. Christian formation, that's what Bonhoeffer is talking about. That's what the Atlantic article is talking about. But Bonhoeffer explains it means not formation of the world by planning and programs, but in all formation, it is concerned only with the one form that has overcome the world, the form of Jesus Christ. And so formation proceeds only from here. Formation does not happen by striving to become like Jesus, but as the form of Jesus Christ himself so works on us that it molds us, conforming our form to Christ's own. He's referencing Galatians 4 and 9. And so Paul indicates it's God's action over and against the world. And so Bonhoeffer describes a situation in Nazi Germany 
imbued with an idolization of death. Quote, nothing betrays the idolization of death more clearly than when an era claims to build for eternity and yet life in that era is worth nothing. When big words are spoken about a new humanity, a new world, and of course what he's talking about here is the Third Reich, a new society that will be created, and of course all this new newness consists in the annihilation of existing life. And so Hitler had planned for a thousand year reign. He thought his Reich would last into eternity, a kind of unlimited kingdom. And in the process to accomplish this, unworthy lives. And of course, what is an unworthy life? Well, he deemed that if you were homosexual, he deemed that if you were mentally incapacitated, you know, they began euthanasia very early in Nazi Germany. And then they began the pogroms against the Jews in the mass slaughter of people where death is final earthly life is all or nothing defiant striving for earthly eternities I'm quoting Bonhoeffer goes together with a careless playing with life anxious affirmation of life with an indifferent contempt for life now switch the Atlantic article describes the same thing this disregard for life and it indicates more than most other Christians, however, conservative evangelicals insist that they are rejecting cultural influences. When in fact their faith is profoundly shaped by cultural and political values, by their racial identity, and by their Christian nationalism. And throughout both of these, the common denominator that there is an atmosphere of fear. That was certainly true in Germany with the compliance of German Christians to Hitler. And it's certainly true in the American evangelical compliance to a politics of hatred. Fear of the foreigner. Fear of the minority. Fear of poverty. Fear of the future. Fear of the liberals. Fear of conspiracies such that for more than half a century, quoting the Atlantic article, uh, half a century evangelical leaders have found reason to deem the situation sufficiently dire. They rallied their congregations against the threats of communism, secular humanism, feminism, gay rights, radical Islam, Democrats in the White House, demographic decline, critical race theory, and in defense of religious liberty. And so just as Hitler created fear of the communists and fear of the Jews, evangelical militancy, it's a response to fear. However, as with Hitler and Trump, it's important to recognize that in many cases, I'm quoting here, evangelical leaders actively stoked fear in the hearts of their followers in order to consolidate their own power and advance their own interests. They've used the method, the political method that's been shown. And so fear explains a kind of explosion of conflict, of spiritual deformity. You know, it was 
the loss of Germany in World War I. They feared international humiliation. In the article it describes a kind of regional fear and shame. What we're watching, quote, right now in much of our nation's Christian politics is an explosion not of godly Christian passion, but rather of ancient southern shame, honor, rage. It is a fear and passion stirred up by the Trump presidency, the legitimacy of the 2020 election, the January 6th insurrection, the murder of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement, and critical race theory, and matters related to the pandemic, such as masking, vaccinations, and restrictions on in-person worship. Fear has become formative in this culture that we're describing. Perfect love drives out fear. Now Bonhoeffer gives solutions. The Atlantic article, the guy that's writing it, he is a, a Christian. And he says at the end, nonetheless, you know, I've encountered the love of Jesus. I'm not giving up on this thing. And I think we need to acknowledge that, and that's where I'm going to take us, we're going to go. But Bonhoeffer says it's Christ's resurrection that breaks through this culture of fear and death. Quote, Christ is the one who has become human, who was crucified, and who is risen, as confessed by the Christian faith. To be transformed into his form, that is the meaning of Christian formation. Transfigured into the form of the risen one, and we bear only the sign of the cross. And so love and not fear is to mark this new community, who though they live in the midst of death, are not controlled by death and not controlled by fear. In this, the followers of Christ, I believe, are enabled to be fully human resembling maybe everyone else in many ways with one difference. This is Bonhoeffer. He says they are not concerned to promote themselves but to lift up Christ for the sake of our brothers and sisters. And so Christ conveys what it means to be fully human. He says Christ was not essentially a teacher, a lawgiver. He was a human being. A real human being like us. Accordingly, Christ does not call us to be pupils. He does not call us to be representatives, advocates of a particular doctrine. He calls us to be human beings. Real human beings before God. And so maybe Bonhoeffer's prescription here. He's faced the failed German church. Of course, he'll end his life in prison as a martyr. But maybe he gives us a remedy for the rapidly failing American church to be fully human by being conformed to Christ and not culture. Let me give you just two simple things. How can we do this? And so as the church is falling apart, I think we can see other things. You know, marriages are falling apart. The family is falling apart. A thing that you can't attach a statistic to, but I believe it's there also, 
I believe Christian friendships are falling apart. People are being split over the issues that they're facing. Jesus taught that marriage is indissoluble. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Paul Edvikoff, who is an Eastern Orthodox Christian, he's argued that marriage ought to be understood as an ascetic practice. So much so that marriage and monasticism, Larry, you said we can't all be monks, but on this basis, while entering into marriage is a kind of ascetic practice, a form of discipline like being a monk, in which human beings are formed by the perceptions of others to whom they are committed. You can't escape, or you can't easily escape. Marriage, like monasticism, exposes the worst part in human beings. <laughs> I mean, the, we probably know that as a, as a group. So that it can be healed, though. The idea is that in the marriage relationship, here is an extension of the church relationship, here is an extension of the healing power of Christ. Here is a concrete, liturgically celebrated form by which the spouses, like monks, give their bodies over to this larger community. The marriage is sanctioned by the church. It manifests a theological meaning. And this is a way of participating in the Spirit's work of witnessing to love. And so sexual fidelity of the married, the bodily poverty of the monk, the two things, the commitments of both. We grant time and we grant we're going to stay in this place for an embodied other. I believe that that is a part of the spiritual transformation that we're describing, a communal living that is part of what it means to be in the church. Marriage, like monasticism, it's a structure for transformation. I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. It's by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that marriage becomes formative, transformative. This is Ephesians. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for, so that he might sanctify her. Same system. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He's comparing marriage and the church. Same work. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. And so marriage, it's just an institution where we learn the give and take of love, but it's an extension of the work of the church. It's where we learn to do 1 Corinthians, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. You know, that favorite passage that we read at weddings. And so marriage is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the church. And the Spirit is at work in the sanctification of the married couple. Marriage is a learning of holiness. Holiness is never, you know, an individual achievement. Now, I'm just picking two things here. We could have picked many things. But, in other words, how are we transformed? How are we conformed to Christ? Well, 
commitment to other people. The other commitment is just the simple commitment of friendship. It is accompanied by or even consists, you know, here is a, a kind of mutual inspiration. It's a, a way also of overcoming our enclosedness. Think of the beautiful friendship between David and Jonathan. Samuel 18.1, 1 Samuel, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And so the Spirit does not act on individuals, but there is a transcendence of the individual. Proverbs says that an iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And so the very nerves and sinews of the church, its connective tissue, is formed by a network of personal friendships, graced by the Spirit. And so the Spirit does not float free of these concrete, natural relationships. The work of the Spirit is through the body, through embodied life. And the Spirit constructs the Christian community, the community to which we're to be conformed through these friendships, through marriage. And actual friendships among church members compose, I believe, a great deal of this connective tissue. One of my friends called me this week. He was a little bit critical of me. He said, you know, you're sometimes too dark. And I, I had said, yeah, you're probably right. Um, I get too dark. And he said, you know, sometimes you're too critical of the church. I said, yes, you're right. And I think I do love the church because... That's where I meet my friends. That's where I develop my friendships. The love of friends is the love of the church. I love the church because I love my wife. Because the love of my wife is the love of the church. And we could add to that, you know, the work of Bible reading, Bible study, prayer. But I think key in all of this is that we do life together in friendship and marriage, and that shapes who we are as we come together week by week. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.